Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land and of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Well, why do we call tonight good? Why would we call a day that remembers the death of Jesus Christ good? Because on the cross, the Son of God suffered the ultimate evil for our good. And without his death on the cross, we perish. Nothing captures this sense of perishing, a sense of desperation, a sense of a loss completely of hope. Nothing probably quite catches it like Edvard Munch's painting known as The Scream. Recognized throughout the world for the striking image of a Peruvian mummy, with hands upon its cheeks and mouth aghast. It offers a commentary on modern human existence. Munch wrote about the inspiration behind the painting that came to him while on a walk with two friends one evening. He said, I was walking along a path with two friends. The sun was setting and suddenly the sky turned 
blood red. I paused, feeling exhausted, and I leaned on the fence. There was blood and tongues of fire above the blue black Ford and the city. My friends walked on, and I stood there trembling with anxiety. And I sensed an infinite scream passing through nature. See, Munch's anxiety had become emblematic of the modern age at the turn of the century and the sudden discovery of with the denial of God and all things supernatural, but yet there seemed to be this complete loss of meaning, but not only meaning of hope. A sense of perishing without the promise of salvation. And he described it as a feeling like a scream shooting through nature. A scream that says something's not right. Something's not right, but who can save us? Tonight on the cross, we witness God's response to humanity's scream for deliverance. Because tonight marks the moment God silenced the scream with the last breath of his son. That is why we call tonight good. So we're going to do is look at the passion narrative with three scenes. Three scenes that are filled with screaming. We're going to look at the scream of the soul, the scream of, for deliverance, and then the silencing of the scream. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, who has words for nights like tonight? Who has words as we sit before the cross and, Lord, we come face to face with the depth of our plight, the darkness of sin, the reality of what it takes for us to find new life. But, Lord, we ask that as we approach the cross and we see the bitterness of our sin, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see the sweetness of our Savior and the sweetness of the salvation that we have in him. And Lord, that the scream that comes out of our souls, that comes from all of humanity, crying out for deliverance and hope, Lord, that we would see how once and for all Christ silenced that scream and has brought peace through his screams on the cross. Lord, would you deepen our understanding, our grasp of what you accomplished on the cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scream of the soul. The first scene is in Luke 23, starting in verse 18. The scene of Barabbas. But they all cried out together. Away with this man. Release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. 
Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! The third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. The scene of the crowds crying out for Barabbas' freedom is one of the best-known scenes of the Passion narrative of Good Friday. The whole scene is structured around the screams of the crowd. In verse 18, they cry out together, away with him. Verse 21, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. In verse 23, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And the result is their voices prevailed. And Jesus was delivered over to their will. And even though Barabbas is an insurrectionist and murderer, the crowds would have known this, but it seems Pilate couldn't reason with them. Every time he tried, they screamed him down. No, free Barabbas. Free Barabbas, crucify him. Pointing at Jesus, mocking, jeering. And as a result, Jesus was handed over to be crucified. What motivated their screams? It seems to be erupting out of somewhere deep within them, deep within their souls. It's as if, just like in the, the scream, the painting, it's as if their, their souls are screaming out, something's not right, Pilate. Something's not right, fix this. Kill him. Now. What's motivating those screams? Where, where is it coming from? The whole scene is filled with irony. Obviously, the fact that the crowds would be crying out for Jesus to be crucified, and, and he is crucified, and they need him to be crucified, but also at the center of this is an ironic meaning that normally we miss as English readers, which is the meaning of Barabbas' name. Barabbas is the combination of the Hebrew words son, bar, and father, Abba. In other words, his name means son of the father. This is in contrast to Jesus, who throughout Luke's gospel has been presented as the true son of the father. The true son who isn't an insurrectionist, but is bringing the true kingdom. The true son who isn't a murderer, but will lay down his life to give his life for his murderers. Luke is capturing something. 
that because of sin, our souls cry out, fix this. Something's not right. But we look for salvation in the wrong places. It's a picture of sin's control over us. The depth of sin, the deception of sin, the control of sin, power of sin. Our every sin and insurrection against the true king. Our every sin brings death and murders the life God has given. In our sin, we scream for the wrong things, rejecting the true son for the false son. True life for death. That's why the true son had to die in our place. And the fact that he did is why, again, ironically, we call today good. Behold the man upon a cross, my guilt upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. We all, in our sin, cry out, crucify him. But the screams don't stop there. Our souls scream for deliverance. Continue in verse 39. The two criminals hanging with Jesus. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Here, two criminals are hung, one on each side of Jesus, flanking him. The first cries out for deliverance from his judgment. He thinks, if you deliver me from this, then I'll be saved. But he doesn't realize he presents a false demand to Jesus. Save yourself, Jesus, and save us. Because he doesn't see the depth of the problem, of his true problem. He doesn't just need saved from the punishment. He needs saved from his sin. Jesus could save himself and then, in them, Jesus is powerful enough to do it. Jesus could have at any moment gotten down from the cross. In fact, even this entire scene is made. This is in the the middle of them having just mocked him as the king. And here is Jesus who's in the middle and he's flanked by two criminals. This king who's high and exalted and he's flanked by criminals. He's the king of the universe. At any moment he could get down, he could save himself, he could save them. With just a word, with just a snap of his fingers. 
But if he were to save them at that moment and save himself from the cross, then he may save them for a moment, but they, these men would just re-enter the screen. The first criminal doesn't see the depth of their problem. See, if Jesus were to save himself, the criminal would perish, abandoning him to everlasting screams in the end. The only way to be delivered is for Jesus not to save himself, to be abandoned in his place, in our place. Only that will truly silence the scream. The second criminal, without knowing it, actually impacts the very way that they and we can be saved. We, like the criminals, are condemned justly, like verse 40 says. But Jesus is condemned with us unjustly, as verse 41 says. Yet Jesus doesn't cry out for deliverance like the first criminal. He didn't come to avoid this scream, but silence it. And the second criminal captures the only way to true deliverance. Not Jesus, avoid this thing. Save yourself, Jesus. Escape this. Fight, Jesus. But remember me. Remember me when you conquer this thing. This somehow deep within him, he knows that somehow right now, this, this king, the mighty one, the true son, that he actually is working with power. He is fighting. He is winning for that which he came. And Jesus promises him calmly, confidently, lovingly. He could have said, you're the reason why I'm here. It's because of you that I'm up here. He doesn't say that. Is truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you see the two paths to deliverance that Good Friday presents us with? We must choose one. We will choose one. A deliverance that escapes condemnation for now. Deliverance that says, I don't have to do or respond to this issue of sin. Or deliverance through death in Christ. Because the first only hurls us right back into this scream. But the second silences it. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. How did Jesus silence the scream? Lastly, verses 44 through 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Here we have the only faithful scream of life that could silence the scream of death. The scream from the true son to the true father. The one who is life itself crying out to the source of life. The one who by his breath spoke the world into existence. Who breathed life into humanity's nostrils. And when he cried out to his father, he breathed his last. The one who, by his breath, spoke the world into existence, breathed his last. The one who breathed life into humanity's nostrils, exile, or exhaled for the last time. And all of reality almost came apart, manifesting the moment that the life left the one who is life itself. The one who weaved together creation, who brought together creation, who spoke it into existence, who holds it together by the word of his power. There's a reason why when he breathes his last, then all of a sudden throughout the gospels, the earth quakes and the sun grows dark. It's as if creation is, is shaking, as if the fabric of reality is coming apart Manifesting, giving a picture, the, the deepest insight we can have into the moment when the Son of God breathed his last. The magnitude of it. The near impossibility of it. All of creation grew silent. The scream of life, silence. The scream, the screams of death. And in response, the screams of the people grew silent. It says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Screams of the people and the crowds grew silent. Holding their breath as they silently walked away. And we hold our breath until Sunday. But we take with us a promise into the darkness of night that the dawn is coming, that in him the promise of paradise is ours. And just as the true son committed himself to the father, so do we as we silently await Sunday.
It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we sense in this life, in this world, this, this scream. Lord, this, this primal scream, Lord, for life, for freedom, for joy, for peace, for the pain to end, for the hurt to go away for the tears to be wiped away. And Lord, we thank you that on this night, you didn't just silence yourself off from the screams. You didn't just sneer back at us. You didn't just scorn us. You didn't just turn your back on us. But Lord, you entered. You didn't just pretend as if the screams were no big deal. You didn't just... Try to numb us to it, but Lord, you entered into the scream. You'd entered, you entered into the pain. You entered into the misery. And not only did you enter in, but Lord, you took it upon yourself in Jesus. So Lord, help us see tonight that not only did Jesus come into this world, Experience the loneliness, the rejection, the isolation, the coldness of death. Going before us, but also he took our sin. The death we cause, the rebellion we bring, took it upon himself. carried it with him into that grave, into that tomb, and buried it there. So Lord, this next few days, Lord, teach our heart to wait upon you, to treasure up these truths, to remember the prophecies that proclaim from the beginning of time salvation is coming. The true son is coming. He's coming because he's the true son of the father and he accomplishes his will and not one of his will be lost. Lord, teach us to wait but with peace for the dawn on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name.